Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. All right, guys. Well, welcome to Tuesday night. Glad you guys are here. And, uh, you know, all the things you could be doing on a Tuesday night, you know, playing Fortnite, eating, eating dessert, I don't know, reading a book, dancing, I don't know, all those things you could be doing on a practicing your makeup, I don't know, one of those things. I mean, I don't, don't you girls practice? I don't know. Like, what? You're just that good? <laughs> so... Anyway, on this Tuesday night, I'm really glad you guys are here and a part of this and just getting to be a part of what we do on Tuesday nights, guys. You know, you come here Tuesday after Tuesday, you hear hundreds, maybe some of you seniors have heard thousands of messages from me, Um, but the fact is you can walk away from this knowing that God has something for you every single Tuesday night. Every single Bible study, no matter how bad I screw it up at times, the fact is, you guys, God still has something for you. The Holy Spirit has something for you, and you can believe that. You can bet that. You know, you can put that to the bank, guys. And so we're going through this, this book of Colossians. You know, last week we started, and really the idea of this chapter one as we go through Colossians one through four over the next couple months, chapter one basically is the truth about the gospel in Christ, the truth about the gospel in Christ. Over and over again, Paul hits on truth, okay? So before I get there, I got one announcement. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. My notes are in the back for you guys. Um, while you're grabbing there, you guys, the big event of this month is our high school hangout night. We're going to do the bridge dinner and serve, and then we're going to have a movie night in here watching Pirates of the Caribbean on the big screen. So high schoolers, sign up for that, sign up for the bridge dinner, and then come and hang out with us and eat snacks. And then uh, don't worry, middle schoolers, your event will be in October, and that'll be a lot of fun too. So, yeah, <laughs> that's a fun one. That's a fun one, our big, uh, our big game night. So anyway, guys, um, where were we? Oh, truth. So truth, right? Truth is one of those those amazing things that I believe forms who we are in a lot of ways. A couple of weeks ago when I taught on the difference between the rich young ruler, the man who went to Jesus saying, I did all these outward things. I look very Christian. I, I seem very Christian. Even to the disciples, they're like, if anyone deserves to get into heaven, it's this guy. But then ultimately Jesus said, well, you want to get into heaven. What you need to do is you need to, you need to give up the thing that you're idolizing. You need to give up the one thing that you are holding so dear, which is your money. And I believe with that money came his fame, his fortune, his, his popularity, his status. And he went away sad because he could not. In essence, his truth, right, what he believed was true was, I deserve heaven. Look how blessed I am. I must deserve it because look how much God has blessed me. Look what, how, look what I do. Maybe he even gave a lot to charity. Maybe he even gave a lot to, to the poor and to the church. But inwardly, Jesus looked at his heart and said, yeah, but you're idolizing something. Something is above me, and unless you give that up, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And ultimately, Jesus said to his disciples, he said it's harder for, uh, it's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. And it wasn't talking about some silly gate in the Jerusalem wall that a camel could kind of squeeze through because you can't squeeze into heaven. But Jesus was using this ridiculous metaphor to really show us that this man's truth, what he, what he thought was true, was not actually truth, was not actually God's truth. And I, I, I contrasted that with C.T. Studd, a missionary in the 
late 1800s, early 1900s, who literally gave up not just status as a world-famous cricketer for the British, British team, right, world team, but then also when he, in, he inherited millions of dollars from his dad, he gave it all to charity, gave it all to mission work, and then lived a poor man in Africa and China and India, dying there as a missionary. I mean, such a contrast where one, his truth was, I'm good enough to get to heaven, where C.T. Studd basically said, no, I'm not good enough, but Jesus did everything for me, so I'm going to give up everything for him, and I'm willing to die for what he's called me to do. And we see that contrast. And so as we look at Colossians, stepping into Colossians last week, as we kind of looked at the title, The Truth About the Gospel in Christ, this week as we go through verses 15 through 23, what Paul is going to isolate on is the truth about Jesus. Just talking about the truth about Jesus. Now, what stems from this, why Paul wants to bring this to light, is because as in every age, there are, there are kind of these Christian cults or, or bad theology, bad theology about Jesus, bad theology about church and the Bible and about God and heaven and hell. And in every generation, in every, every age of the church, there's been bad theology that's come out that, said, that says either Jesus is nothing or Jesus is like, uh, he's there but not everything. Basically what they do is they take the deity of Jesus and they, they strip it down. They say, yeah, Jesus is there, but he's not really who he says he is, or he's not really who you think he is. So ultimately what was happening in the church in Colossae was this bad theology was coming out saying basically, yeah, Jesus is a guy. He's, he's really a good prophet, but come on, was he really God? Was he really God in the flesh? You're telling me that God, that, that God the Father gave of himself through God the Son, born of a virgin, to step into flesh like you and I, to be born in the same way that you and I were born, to be, to be a fetus in the same way that you and I were fetuses, to go through puberty, to, to grow and to mature, to live life as you and I did, but without sin? Like basically this bad theology was saying Jesus didn't really do that. Come on. And if he did, he didn't do it as God. And yet Paul, as we look at these couple verses through 15 to 23, what we see is Paul says, no, actually he did. And see, this is truth. And what I said at the beginning of this, where I believe that truth is something that forms us and truly, truly molds who we are, the fact is what you put your faith into, the truth that you kind of lay your faith upon, that really will shape you. It really will. It really will make you the man or woman that you are, that you are going to become. It'll, it'll form your worldview. It'll form how you, you look at the world, how you look at life and humanity, how you look at the sanctity of, of what we are made as in God's image, it'll determine who you vote for, <laughs> like all those things, you guys. Truth will determine all of that. So what we want to do tonight as we go through these couple of verses is make sure that we, we look at truth, not our truth, not like my personal how I feel tonight truth, right, because that can get us into trouble because there's nights I don't want to be here and I just want to go get a double-double, and that's not a good truth, right? <laughs> like I should be here. But we look at a lens through the, a biblical truth. And, and ultimately, who Jesus is, that truth, you guys, if you can come to the conclusion and the truth of, of who Jesus is, that will shape so much of your faith. It'll shape so much of what you believe. It'll shape so much of how you interact with this world, how you interact with your generation, people around you, who Jesus is to you. The truth of who Jesus is to you will shape so much of the man or the woman that you are. It'll, it'll, it will, guys, in so many areas, so many ways, Okay. So this is what Paul is getting into tonight. So let's read, you guys, as we go through this, verse 15. Tonight he says, follow along with me, guys. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, he says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh and by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Verse 23, he then finishes, If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, Father, right now we come before you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for how real and sharp it is. God, we lay it before you, God, asking that it would change us, that it would convict us, that it would drive us closer to you each and every time we open it and we read it. Spirit, we pray that you'd be here tonight, speak through me, speak through the leaders, and God, just impact these hearts and minds of these, these students here, Jesus. We give you this. We praise you. Amen. All right, so again, truth, right, truth. And so what's the main idea here tonight, guys? The main idea is that Jesus is the visible manifestation of God and our eternal creator and reconciliator who has supremacy in the universe and the church. As you read through these verses, this is really what it comes down to. Jesus is the visible manifestation of God and our eternal creator and the reconciler who has supremacy in the universe and the church. These are going to be some of the points we go over tonight, but ultimately this is where truth will get you. Understanding who Jesus is. As you read through these, I encourage you, go back, have some devotional time. We are not going to be able to do these verses justice in one 30-minute sermon on a Tuesday night. You could spend a month or a year just going over these verses and what it truly means that Jesus has reconciled you. Jesus is the creator. He is the manifestation of God's character in the flesh here on earth. You guys, these are huge, huge topics. These are huge facts, huge foundational points of your faith. I really encourage you to keep going over them. But see, truth brings us to this place and ultimately... Truth, like like I said, truth will de- determine a lot of how we feel, but ultimately I hope it determines what you believe. Now, when I think of truth, I always go to justice, and then I have to go to Batman, because that's just where my mind goes. So I got a couple silly memes for you guys, of course, right? So I love these ones, Batman slapping Robin. He starts singing. I have, thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, here's another one, because apparently that wasn't that funny. That's a good one, right? Come on. It's not that good? No? Okay. All right, next one. Next one. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going through them. Okay, last one. The truth. You can't handle the truth. Right? Now, no, I didn't actually. I found them. <laughs> There's a whole web page of just these silly Batman memes. So, yeah. Don't use that one anymore? No. No. Hands raised if I don't use these ones anymore. Don't use them anymore. There's like six of you guys. Just these ones? Okay. Every Tuesday, a Batman slapping Robin every single Tuesday night? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh. <laughs> Judah, that hurt, man. <laughs> All right. So 
I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry my meme game has just been off. My bad. All right. Coming back to me. All right. So, again, this main idea about Jesus, the main idea about truth, ultimately what it comes down to is us defining us coming to who, what we believe about Jesus. Okay? And so Paul goes over this, this the, the foundational main idea of this is that Jesus is, is the manifestation, first off, of God. Okay? So let's go over that point first. Jesus being the manifestation of God. All right? So verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul lays this out. If you were debating somebody and someone was saying, well, Jesus was just a man or just a prophet. Yeah, he was born. Yes, he lived. He was a historical character. Ultimately, if your truth is, is what the Bible says about Jesus, then you could honestly say, no, actually, he is the image of the invisible God. He is God manifest. He was fully God, but yet fully man. And ultimately, the firstborn of the creation, which is his supremacy over us. So what this tells us about Jesus is that he is the perfect reflection of God, the Father, and in all supremacy above us. This word image is literally a reflection of. Paul would use it in a sense where where the coin was a reflection of Caesar. Not just in, it had a picture of Caesar on it, but it was, it was under Caesar's authority. It was how Caesar controlled the people, the, the money system, the, the, the weight of that coin, the picture of Caesar on it had his authority on it. And so Paul, using this word image, not, it wasn't just a, a mere reflection of, of Jesus being God, but it was a full weight, a full power. It meant something. As you held that coin, that Roman coin that had Caesar's picture on it, you knew who was king. You knew who was in charge. You knew what the money system was about and, and where your money went. <laughs> like Think about giving of taxes and you're giving that coin that you earned. You knew it was going to the big dog, right? You knew it was going to Caesar. So in essence, as Paul uses this image of the invisible God, he's saying in the same way that you and I would say, Jesus is God. He was fully God in the flesh. Every bit of Jesus' character is a reflection of God's character in heaven. God who sits on the throne, who has always been and always will be, Jesus was the full manifestation of that. And we see this in the reflection of Jesus' heart. We see in the way that he interacted with us as human beings. Us who are, yes, made in the image of God, but it's a pale reflection. It's a pale one. I wouldn't go as far to say it was like, it's like a funny mirror. You guys ever been in a fun house before? And you walk by one mirror and your legs are like nine feet tall and you walk in another one and you look like basically me, short and stocky. Like, like you basically like walk by, you know, these mirrors and they're kind of distorted and you can stand in front of the one that makes you look best, you know. But the fact is, we, we do. We, we do ha- bear the image of God. You are created in the image of God, the Bible tells us. But yet there's a pale reflection because sin has, has, has dirtied that. It's sullied that. It's made it funky. Right? It's, it's, we are not fully made in that image. We cannot bear fully the reflection of God because of sin. And yet Jesus came to be that reflection for us. He came to clean that mirror up, as it were, to, to not just clean the mirror, but to give us the authority that God has p- placed upon us as Christians, as human beings that he's made in his image. This is a beautiful thing that we get to receive. And then ultimately, Paul says he's also the firstborn. Now, this isn't so much the literary term of Jesus being the firstborn because Jesus wasn't Adam, but yet Jesus has always been and made in the image of God as the firstborn, right, bearing God's image perfectly. See, the beautiful thing about this truth is that one day you and I will stand before the Father, and that image, that as image bearers of God, will be perfect. You will stand before God one day in heaven, 
and that sin, that sullied mirror that we look through or we see that image broken, the fact is that will not be broken anymore. It won't. And Jesus was a reflection of what we get to receive one day in heaven. And not just that, but as the firstborn, what did the firstborn always get? Okay. I thought someone's teapot was going off. <laughs> I was good. I was like, Whoa! all right. Um, so, what are the fir- <laughs> so what did the firstborn get? The firstborn, now think about this, the firstborn, he had the right, right? He had the privilege. He had the priority. You see this all through the Old Testament. When you had a patriarch, the firstborn got the first blessing, got the biggest inheritance, had the authority over the home under the father. And so as Paul is saying this, not just that he's the firstborn of humanity, but he shows us, one, that we get to receive that one, that we will stand before the father bearing his image in perfect reflection. You and I, when we're in heaven one day, we get to have that. But then ultimately, we get to have that authority as Jesus has also in the new heaven and new earth for those that bend a knee to him now. Those that say, Jesus, you are king of my life. That you as a middle schooler choosing at a young age or a high schooler at a young age saying, Jesus, you are Lord. And then you live this life sacrificing and giving of and breaking and and serving Jesus in a real way. You guys, there's crowns for that. There's authority that goes with that as you grow and mature in Jesus. See, Psalms 89, 27 says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Even David in the Psalms 89 reflects who Jesus, the Messiah, would be. Now, I want a little side note on this. When you read a verse like this, guys, and you kind of break it down on what it means, see, when we look in that reflection of, of being made in the image of God, every one of us have a, have a brokenness in that, okay? And I just want you to grasp this tonight because Every one of us are broken. You're a sinner. I don't care if you're raised in the church, your parents are Christian, your grandparents are Christian. You know every song that comes up on the screen. You've memorized verses. You were part of, you've watched every Veggie Tales and been a part of every, I don't care where you're at, right? You are broken. You do not fully bear the image of God because you have sin within your, in who you are. You have sin in your heart. You have sin in your flesh. But see, no matter how broken your mirror is, no matter what cards you've been dealt in this life, no matter what anxieties or fears or depressions or illnesses you deal with here, I just want you to know this life may be a whole life of healing. This life may be a life of struggle and, 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 and counseling and medication and a lot of things that you need. But please know that on the other side of this, that mirror, that broken mirror, that dirty mirror, you will receive a, a perfect reflection before the Father. You will. That's just one of the hard things about life, guys, is, is we have, even, even us, we have relationships, family relationships that we know just probably won't ever be good this side of heaven. They just won't. And you have to accept that and you have to know that this life is hard and there's brokenness here, but see who Jesus is and let that reflect on you knowing that this life is just hard. This life, there's brokenness, but we get to receive that wholeness of God's image one day when we enter into heaven. So Paul starts this way. He combats this false truth. He combats this counterfeit theology with saying, no, I know who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is. And let that be a testament to you guys as you know who Jesus is, as you grow and mature in your faith, and you come against counterfeit theologies in your life, in your schools, in your jobs. You can say, nope, I know that. That's wrong because I know who Jesus is, just as Paul is here. He then continues there in verse 16 and 17 by saying, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In essence, what Paul is saying here, he's starting in a Genesis 1-1 type of, of explanation. In the beginning, God. First verse of the Bible, you guys. When if you ever have a discussion with someone that's saying, like, I don't quite understand the God thing. I don't quite get the Jesus thing. Like, where do I start? Bring them back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Can we just build a foundation that God was there before any of us? You're not God. I'm not God, right? Our president's not God. Like, the fact is, like, there's no God here, right? But in the beginning, God created. And we go back to that. And that's what Paul's doing here in this argument of false theology, saying, like, I know who Jesus is. I can show you because for, by him, for him, and by him, and in him, all things were made. All the way there to the end of verse 17, all things hold together. Now, I love that verse because Paul didn't have a microscope. Paul, 2,000 years ago, didn't know what an atom was, a molecule, right? Think about that. No clue. No clue that there were atoms, there were molecules holding things together, literally holding things together. Everything is made of different densities of material and molecules, right? Atoms, and neutrons, electrons, right? Protons, I mean, protons, electrons, neutrons, holding. Even the chair you're sitting on right now, thank God it's more dense than you, right? Or you'd fall to your butts, right? Like, like it's amazing. And yet Paul didn't understand that. But in Paul's understanding, his theology of truth, he understood even 2,000 years ago, that, that all of this thing, <laughs> all of this reality is held together by Jesus. Now, how does this tell us who Jesus is? How does this tell us who Jesus is? I think this tells us who Jesus is because we can rest assured that Jesus is and was and will be the eternal creator. I mean, you can have such confidence, not just the stupid faith that that chair is not going to fall out from under you. Not just stupid faith that your lungs, like, aren't going to do what they're meant to do. Not, not just faith that, like, if I drink this glass of water, it's going to, like, like, fill me with, like, the H2O that I need. Like, like, that's silly faith. Like, we believe that, and we step in faith like that, right? You put faith in the car you drive in. You put faith in the car your parents drive in or sibling drive in. Like, you put faith in the food you're about ready to eat that's not poisoned, right? You go to In-N-Out, Jenny may just have a really bad day, you know, and you may get a really, really bad double-double. I don't know. So, yeah. She works in an out, guys. So anyway, um, if you didn't know that. So the thing is, we put faith in all kinds of silly things, mindless things. But what Paul here wants us to understand is that we can rest assured, we can put a real heavy, heavy, heavy faith in the fact that God, that Jesus, has always been, is, and always will be the eternal creator of all things. I mean, this puts such, spe- uh, 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 such a, a spectrum of, of what we truly believe on Jesus was, is, and always will be. I mean, we live right here in the present. We can't change what happened two minutes ago, nor do we know what's going to happen two minutes from now. A plane can come down, right, and, and miss the runway, and right here, we're right in the way, guys, like seriously, like a plane could do that in two minutes, right? Like we don't know, right? <laughs> we don't know, but that's what I'm saying, but God does know. Jesus does know. And that's the beautiful thing about who he is, you guys. So first off, Paul says, over creation, right? Over creation, all things, heaven and earth, visible and invisible. The beautiful thing about our Jesus is that he sits outside of our time and space. He literally like, sits outside of, I mean, you want to think multiverse, right? Think our universe, our multiverse. Jesus sits above that, seeing all of it happening at once. It's not like he goes, all right, press pause here, go back to the past, press pause there, go back to the future. No, he sees it all happening at once, that's heaven and earth. 
You remember now he resurrected, he sits at the right hand of the Father, knowing all things that happened before God's throne room. All the spiritual beings, you guys, all evil, all good, everything that happens between heaven and hell, Jesus knows. And then also the visible and invisible. The things that we, are, we see that are tangible to us right here and right now to the things that we have no idea that are happening around us. Yet Jesus has created all those and is over all those. Second, over rulers and governments. Rulers and governments, you guys, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Paul wants us to remember, he wants not just us to remember, but these that have a false theology, false theology of Jesus, that he is in charge. Right? He is in charge. The book of Romans talks extensively about this, saying, Christians, listen, there's authority over you for a reason. Right? The cops carry a gun, or back then it was the Romans carry a sword for a reason, ultimately to punish evil. I mean, they don't always, but ultimately to punish evil. But see, even in that, we want to understand that no matter how much we disagree with our modern-day government or how much we disagree with the authorities over us, we have to trust that Jesus is in charge, that there's even a purpose for them being there. And lastly, he holds all things together. He holds all things together, right? He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. I already mentioned this, the atoms that, that just hold us, you guys. But ultimately, the, the life, the narrative that you have, I mean, yeah, it's cool to go to the scientific realm of, like, let's go small to the, the molecules, and let's go big to the universe and see how all of it moves with such, like, such rhythm. There is such a composer to Jesus and to creation. It all moves in such, a, in such an amazing, beautiful way. It really does. Whether you go small or big, the fact is we see God's handiwork. We see his order and all those things. But let's just take your narrative, who you are the family you were born into, the family that you live with right now, the mom and dad that you didn't choose, you were just born, whether you were born naturally or you were adopted into a family, the fact is you have an authority over you. They're part of your, your narrative. They're part of who you are. You middle schoolers and high schoolers, you're starting to think for yourself or think that sometimes, you think you're right most of the time, but you're not. But the thing is, like, you're getting to that point, right, <laughs> where you're like, I think I'm right sometimes, you know? And, and I'll give that to you. You are. It's okay. But see, the thing is, guys, like, you're developing who you are. And so the, the beautiful thing about this, I know the seniors are like, well, I'm right more than that. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, the thing is, guys, your narrative even, God holds that. He holds who you are. He holds the cards that you've been dealt in this life, no matter what they are, no matter what you struggle with, no matter what you're going through. Understand that Jesus holds you. He has you, okay? John 1, 3 actually says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I love how John puts that. He's such like a simple guy, right? It's like, and without him was not anything. <laughs> so, and made that was made, right? It's just like such an emphatic way of saying that Jesus is over it all, okay? Now, verse 18 through 22, as, as we kind of come to a close here, now Paul breaks it down by saying, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, sorry, he's the beginning, uh, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were aligned and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now this is Paul's kind of third point in this, in this argument as as these false theology, this, this kind of like conspiracy of, of breaking apart Jesus is coming to light in, in this church of Colossae, 
Jesus now wants to bring it to the fact like, hey, I've shown you who Jesus is to me. I've shown you who he is to our creation, our universe, that he is God, that he is, he's over all those things. But then ultimately, he wants to bring him to the fact that Jesus is the ultimate reconciler. See, most cults, you guys, most like Christian cults or most bad theology, even if they break down Jesus, they still can't argue with the, the fact that we, we lack a, a godly morality just in our base nature, right? We lack just like the understanding of good and evil. Like it takes a biblical worldview, it takes a biblical code, a God who brought down law to show us that, that what is evil and what's good. And so there's even that. And so what Paul is basically bringing to light is saying, hey, listen, you can, you can try to break down Jesus, but ultimately you can't break down the fact that we are separated from God, that we cannot earn this on our own, but that we need a reconciler. We need someone who has reconciled us, broken human beings, to God who is perfect. And this is something that really outlines, no matter what kind of Christian cult you walk into or you look at or study, there's still the understanding that we are separated from God. And a lot of them believe that we can do the works to get to him. But I don't know, man. I don't think you can really look in the mirror and be honest and say like, oh yeah, I can earn my way to heaven. I think you gotta be a really big liar, right? To like, and to yourself and to those around you to say like, I can, I can make it. I'm good enough to get to God. I just don't buy it. And so ultimately what, G, what Paul brings to light is that this is what Jesus came for. Basically explain to us what was Jesus's purpose, right? What was Jesus's purpose? And I really believe it's to be the great reconciliation over all creation, over all creation, right? Paul's shown how he created all things, but also how Jesus will make all things new. First off, he's reconciled humans to God. He's reconciled humans to God. We went over that. We are broken. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot earn right standing before God, but Jesus did for us, right? He's being made in God's image, that we understand that, we come to this realization that we will one day be, uh, be with God again in his image. Second, reconciled humans with their sin nature. See, ultimately, not just that we're, we're not looking like God anymore in our, in our present state, but then also sin, right? Even though we're saved, I don't know about you guys, but daily I still struggle with sin, right? I struggle with my flesh, I struggle with my mind, I struggle with my heart. I struggle with sin. Every one of us do. But see, it's only in Jesus, it's only in this truth of knowing who Jesus is as Savior and reconciler to me that I don't have to, to, to walk in shame and I don't have to walk in guilt and I don't have to walk in daily condemnation of that sin. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus has washed us. He has reconciled us. He has made us new before the eyes of the Father. So when, Jesus, when God looks upon you, he doesn't see sin. He doesn't see brokenness. He doesn't see dirt. He doesn't see guilt or shame. What he sees is Jesus. Because in essence, what Jesus has done to reconcile us with the Father here and now, he has put this, this cover over us that is his. That is him, his blood, his salvation over you and I. When God looks upon you, what he, what he sees now is Jesus. And so Jesus reconciled us even with our sin nature. He's basically covered it on the cross. Jesus died on that cross. He made us right with God. And third, he reconciled humans and death. As Paul says there, he, he was resurrected from the dead. See, we understand, you guys, that, that not just is our sin reconciled, but see, the, all, the, the great equalizer of mankind, death itself, the thing that is the consequence of sin, Jesus has reconciled it. You and I do not have to fear death. If you're a Christian here tonight and that plane is about to, no, when that plane lands here, right, crashes here, you and I get to go to heaven. Death is not something, I know, praise the Lord, it's awesome, man. Like, you and I get to go to heaven. 
You and I get to stand before the Father, not condemned by our sin, but our sin is absolved because of Jesus on the cross. We get this beautiful gift of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, rather than, like, depart from me, I don't know you. It's a beautiful gift that God has given us, Jesus has given us through his reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23, Paul also wrote this, but he says it here really beautifully. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now, finishing off in verse 23, Paul says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he finishes this argument by, by basically laying out that one of the evidence of seeing who Jesus is is seeing it in his church, seeing it in, in, in Christians who are hardcore in love, on fire, knuckles dragging, ready to brawl for Jesus. That's one of the evidence of knowing who Jesus is. See, while, the Paul, while Paul was writing this, like it was still the first century, but see, we can look back and we can see several centuries of Christians who were persecuted, who died for their faith. If this was just a lie, then all they had to say was like, no, never mind, <laughs> JK, JK, never mind, don't throw me to the lions, I don't want to play that game. Like They could just do that. If it was just a big fallacy, just a big lie, and you guys, they didn't die as, as a suicide bomber, right? They didn't die wanting to achieve some greater, higher goal, but they were willing to die a martyr's death. And still, thousands of Christians today are willing to die a martyr's death because of the understanding of who Jesus is to them, of what Jesus has done for them. They, they, their life is willing as, of a sacrifice before Jesus. And so Paul lays this out, and ultimately, if you even... Um, change that word if with since indeed. Paul's heart to the Colossi church and his heart for you and I right now, you guys, is not, not this like threat of like, if you stay steadfast, <laughs> like if you don't ever screw up, Jesus loves you, right? That's not what Paul is saying. But it's a since. Since indeed you continue in the faith. Since indeed you have continued to be stable and steadfast. You have not shifted from the hope of the gospel that you heard. It was an encouragement of like, listen, church in Colossian, like, like understand that, that, that you have remained. That the fact is that even though this, this, this heresy is coming alongside you, even though this heresy is trying to tear you away from the truth of who Jesus is, you have held fast. You have walked in hope. You've held to the gospel of Jesus. Ultimately, you've held to truth. And see, JFY, you guys, like, my hope is that it would not be a if you, right? if you mess around with this next youth pastor. Now, like, the fact that it's a since, since you have held fast, since you have continued to be stable, since you've walked by faith. I mean, I, I would love to see one day, you guys, the impact that this youth group has had on this peninsula. You know, we're in heaven one day. I'd love to look back and see what, what impact this youth group has had on the Monterey Peninsula over the last six years and beyond. But see, how do we respond to the truth of who Jesus is, guys? How do we respond? Well, I believe we choose to live our lives for him alone. Now, you guys have heard me talk about this before, but ultimately when we argue and bring to light who Jesus is, when we, when we show the truth of who Jesus is against a world of counterfeits, what we're doing in our lives, we're saying Jesus is king. 
we're not just saying he's Lord and Savior. We're not just saying he's God and he's some concept in my life, but we're saying, no, he is king. He is on the throne of my life. I bow before him. I sacrifice before him. My life is for him. See, when we, we, we step into this argument, when we step into this realm of, of biblical truth, the only honest and logical conclusion that you'll come to is that Jesus is king. He is king. And so daily we have to choose to live our lives for him. First off, Paul says, walk in faith. Walk in faith. He is more worthy of our faith than anything else. So I talked about before this, how you, you put your faith in very silly, mindless things every single day. But choose to put faith in Jesus. Choose to trust him when he opens a door and it's scary and it takes you out of your comfort zone. Choose to step through it knowing and trusting and having faith that, that God is on the other side of that door. And that just takes you deeper. That takes you, that takes you further down the rabbit hole of trusting who God is. When he asks you to sacrifice something that you hold so tightly, the way that you live, right, the type of life that you have, the relationships that you have, you're holding that, you're saying, but God, this is what I love about this life. And God says, but let that go. Let that go. Walk by faith. Trust me. Number two there, we stay stable and steadfast. I love that just kind of together, stable and steadfast. We trust him with the narrative of our life. And ultimately what this means is that, that you say, Jesus, I trust you. See, when we walk every day in anxiety or we walk every day in fear, when we walk every day in just this sense of like, of like what could go wrong today, right? Or even in a sense like, like I'm not good enough. Right? We walk in this place of just kind of pity on ourselves. Ultimately what that translates to is, God, I'm not trusting you with my narrative. I'm not trusting you with the story of my life. I'm not trusting you with, with who I am and who you've made me to be. And see, when we trust God with our narrative, that makes us stable and steadfast. That makes us in a, be in a place where we, we, are, we are just like holding fast to God's truth and walking straight ahead. Lastly, we remain in hope and his gospel. We remain in hope and his gospel. Now, this basically comes down to trust in the good news and salvation of Jesus. I mean, there's so many, and we've talked about this tons of times, guys. There's a lot of things you can put your hope in, right? There's a lot of things your emotions can lead you in, right? Like, you're, just to be happy for a moment. We do all kinds of stupid things just to fill a moment of happiness. But see, the thing is, you guys, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it brings true hope. It brings true happiness. It brings true joy like nothing else can in this life because it's the only good news that leads mankind to salvation and womankind. So we trust in that good news daily, okay? Now, finishing off, a couple applications here, guys. It says here that Jesus... The first application is, as Jesus was the image of God, you and I should strive to be the image of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things Jesus did that you and I will have a hard time doing in this life, right? But I think one of the main things that you and I can do each and every day is we can love like Jesus. Jesus had such a balance of truth and love, such agape start, type, like, like sacrificial type love for those around him every single day with everybody he met. I think that's the one trait that you and I can achieve every single day if we choose to. So in the same way that Jesus was the image of God, we need to be the image of Jesus. Take some time to meditate on the fact that our God created all things with purpose and design. Okay, just take a moment. Take some time every once in a while and just meditate on the fact of how orderly, of how awesome this world, this creation is because God designed it. Number three there, living like Jesus brings reconciliation and peace to so much of life's tension points, okay? 
Now, again, living like Jesus brings reconciliation and peace to so much of life's tension point. I guarantee it, middle schoolers, high schoolers, teenagers, you're probably in tension points with your teachers, your intention points with your parents, your intention points with your siblings, your intention points with, with girlfriends or boyfriends or social media. There's tension points every single, if you have a job, you gotta listen to a boss, you got coworkers, right? If you're in a, in a sport, you got knuckleheads that aren't playing like they should. Like, like literally, you are in tension points every single day. And you wanna relieve some of that tension? You wanna let go of some of that tension? Start living like Jesus. Right? Start living like Jesus. Look at how Jesus lived. Look at the fact that he woke up in the morning, went off by himself. He spent some time praying. He talked to God. He had a relationship with, with God the Father, just like you and I can. He spoke truth to people. He didn't enable people. He didn't walk in this place of toxic, um, toxic pity with people. But he, he told people truth, but yet loved them through it. And so I want to encourage you guys in those tension points, those places where you're stressed out and you're feeling just like, Man, I want to tear out my own skin. Like, find that peace in living like Jesus. Lastly, make the conscience daily choice to serve Jesus above all else. Okay? This is a reoccurring theme. This is like youth group 101, guys. Like, find what else you're serving over Jesus, whatever it may be. Relationship, image, video games, sports, money, fame, popularity, being an influencer. I don't know. Whatever it is, right? Whatever you're serving over Jesus Knock it down a few notches and put Jesus over it, okay? This is such a huge point, but yet so fundamental to who we are as Christian guys. All right, lastly. <laughs> That's a good one, come on. Well, arguably, it, he is the best joker and probably one of the best, like, theatrical roles ever, honestly, in my opinion, arguably, but it's right. Um, it's truth. Now, go to small group. So, Father, we come before you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. I did make that one, Lily Mills. Uh, <laughs> we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here. We give you praise and glory. Um, God, let small group times just be awesome. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.com.